Welcome back to another episode of On Coaching with Magnus and Marcus. I am Steve Magnus, the cross-country coach at the University of Houston and the newly proclaimed Deputy Director of High Performance West. And I'm joined by John Marcus, the Director of High Performance West. John, what in the world are we talking about? (laughs) We're talking about a new approach to a collaborative community that's you know built on uh, contribution and purposeful behavior so it's kind of an extension of what we champion here in the podcast right um you know go over to highperformancewest.com check out uh the welcome letter that we have up um also too we're going to be rolling out an element every other day for the rest of 2017 to kind of get people oriented and you know slowly and surely uh, demonstrate what we're talking about and living our values, which are quality, enrichment, contribution, and generosity. So, you know, it, like most people identify with us as a track and field club I started a couple of years ago in Portland, Oregon. We still are going to maintain the integrity of that core. This will be athletes here rocking and rolling and running and racing in Portland, but now we're going to expand to include people from all backgrounds who seek to perform at a high level, as well as athletes that Steve Magnus is coaching as well and will coach. So in other people, I mean, it's, it's this great organic growing, evolving, you know, concept of unity. I don't want to call it an organization. I don't want to call it this. It seems very flowery and flowy, but basically we're trying to say, Hey, look, if you're into high performance, let's all get together and elevate each other and elevate this community rather than saying, hey, you're over here in this camp, you're over here and there, we're all fighting and competing against each other and creating a divisionist, separatist mindset and being very myopic. No, the world needs less that. We need more unity. Let's be real. What we're trying to say is that if if you dig the podcast, if you dig learning, if you dig sharing information – then you're part of the crew, right? Yes. It's, yeah, it's for you. If you it, if you're already listening to us, yeah, it's for you. And, yes. And what you know, the vision and the vision of this is simple: is that we have all these different outlets, whether it's my blog or this podcast or stuff we've done before, others who have, you know, been in our kind of circle and put out information. But we want one one giant hub for good quality. Um, discussion, good quality information um, to elevate the level of coaches, runners, athletes, you know, everybody. Mm-hmm. And much as you know, the you know your more your recent book, Peak Performance, is not solely for sport and athletes. It's applicable to a wide variety of people and audience. Same it, deal here. Exactly, exactly. So we're trying to branch that out, and it's about. It's about providing content and information and, you know, getting that discussion going. So we're really trying to um, take all these various disparate pieces we have scattered around the Internet and the world and, you know, give them a home, essentially. Yeah. So mm-hmm. Feed the people. It's a table <laughs> where you can come every day and be nourished intellectually. And you'll leave going, mmm, that was good. And then bring your friend the next time. Exactly. So, you know, venture out over to highperformancewest.com, see what we're talking about. Also check out, if you haven't, um, our new initiative, which has started as a, um, endeavor for high performance West called coaching with craft, which will be eventually linked up on that 
website, which is a, you know, a weekly series where, uh, John, myself and two other excellent coaches, Adam Didick and Danny Mackey, just take on one question every week and, and give you our, uh, you know, our thoughts. So far, we've gone over our coaching mentors and how we define coaching. And I think you, if you love this, this podcast, it's almost like the, uh, you know, two to five minute bite size, um, bit of, uh, of information that comes from not just only John and myself, but uh, a couple other guys who will give you a slightly different perspective. So again, all about creating ideas and content that is hopefully valuable and hopefully of quality to you uh, guys and gals out there listening. Yeah, I'm, I'm really enjoying the Coaching Your Craft series. It's fun to, you know, actually get on the video screen and, you know, be able to have a visual element to our audio element. So it's awesome. Hey, if you get offended because I'm wearing sunglasses, one day I'll tell you why. But no, it's because I'm just having a good time. So <laughs> remember, you got to have some play with your with your craft. It's really important. If you can't have some fun with it, I don't know why you're doing it. All right. Well, check out those things. And without further ado, we'll go into this week's podcast discussion, which is, you know, one I've been itching to uh, go over for a while now. Oh, man, I got you fired up. Like, <laughs> I'm going to let you just let the pot boil here. Go, you know, tell the people what got you fired up. Aerobic conditioning for team sports. This is it. <laughs> All right. You know, and, and I think the reason it fires me up is, you know, despite my running background, I, I started as a team sport guy. I was a soccer player, man. And you know, my high school coach took me away from soccer because I ran too fast my uh, freshman year in cross country and never let me go back to team sports. So somewhere in there, there's like a little tiny bitter Steve who's probably like, ah, soccer would have been le way less painful than this running thing. But so what are we talking about? So whenever we look at team sports, whether it's soccer, football, you know, anything, rugby, Australian rules, football, all these different sports is, you know, all of them have some sort of aerobic or quote unquote conditioning aspect. And I think where we've gone horribly wrong is in that conditioning world is we've neglected kind of the basics, the foundations of, of aerobic fitness and we've re we've replaced it with this idea of either um only specificity which means like oh gosh in our conditioning phase like we got to simulate exactly what's going to happen in the game or exactly the moves and we're just going to copy that and that's going to get us in great shape number one which we'll tackle and then the second part of it is i think we've mis misplaced this like aerobic conditioning side for a um, high intensity interval side and assume that we're going to get like the fitness conditioning, et cetera, et cetera, off of it. So mm -hmm. a, a common refrain in the team sports world is like, Oh, don't go jog. Don't go run easy. That's going to make you slow. Um, don't do slow aerobic work. That won't help. Everything has to be high intensity. That's going to give you both your speed and in your endurance and one great little package and, you know, we're going to do a bunch of Tabata sprints and call it a day, and that'll do it. Mm. Oh, the famous junk mileage, right? That's it. Uh, yeah. Mm. That That is it. So mm. where do we want to start with this, John? 
Well, I think we need to, you know, go back to the basics of metabolic conditioning as or metabolic stimulation and adaptation and growth, right? That's a world heavily trafficked by middle distance and distance coaches. Yes. In fact, it's so heavily trafficked it's become this worn out siloed path because that typically is what we put the most emphasis and value on. And other people in and other coaches try to understand it, but they don't see how it creates application to what they're doing, whether it's in basketball, football, soccer, tennis, you know, you name it, another multi-sport um, endeavor. So, <laughs> you know, it's tough because you have to elevate your thinking. You have to get higher, higher with your consciousness. And what that means is you cannot assume that arithmetic is going to solve all the world's problems. Actually, what conditioning or preparedness or readiness for sport is, it's calculus. There is arithmetic involved. Two plus two does equal four, yes. But in calculus, there's a lot more nuances, a lot more com complexity. You have numbers with letters. You have integrals. You are using these types of varying equations and divisions. So, again, we want a linear progression. It makes sense. It's comforting. It's like Santa Claus. That's awesome. This person comes down and gives us free gifts. I want to believe that. But if you believe this linear progressive model, then you're living a lie because now all of a sudden the tooth fairy is real and the Santa Claus is real. And what you're telling your athletes is, trust me, it's real when it's not there. You know, the Wizard of Oz is just a dude behind a uh, curtain. All right. Let's let's call out the elephant in the room right here, right now. <laughs> OK, so, now <laughs> go ahead, Steve. I was going to say, you know, I, I think that's, uh, you know, that's spot on. And I think if we look at not to dog on my team sport counterparts, but I think it comes back to how you learn about about this stuff. Right. Mm -hmm. And if you look at. You know, our exposure as track coaches is running like our first exposure to um, to this metabolic conditioning is through actually doing it. Right. Mm -hmm. Like we learn what it feels like, how what it what it's like to run different interval sets, different tempo runs, different paces and all that good stuff. And what the effects are of doing, you know, maybe too much speed and, you know, not enough endurance or not having a foundation, whatever it is like we. We understand it in that language, right? But what happens a lot of times is the guy in charge of conditioning for most team sports uh, doesn't have that background. They they come more from the background of either a team sport themselves or maybe some sort of strength and conditioning phase. And what happens is when you come from that phase, a lot of times what happens is your first knowledge introduction of how to how to run intervals, for instance, is a textbook knowledge of it, right? Mm. And, mm -hmm. and what does that mean? Well, if I go down to a track and I tell a runner, like, hey, you need to do eight 200s at mile effort with a 200-meter jog, they instantly get that. They can go do it, whatever, right? But in a textbook definition, the emphasis isn't on those paces and isn't on the intervals. It's on, all right, what do I need to elicit to get this VO2 max and what percentage VO2 max do I need to run to get this, you know, to elicit this response or get my max VO2 or my lactate threshold or whatever you have. So what happens is the defining characteristic for how you set up your intervals or your conditioning becomes less about um, transforming that athlete and their capacity 
and their abilities and more about hitting certain numbers, percentage of VO2, et cetera, to get some sort of, um, you know, mysterious, you know, physiological reaction. Now, what does mm. what does all that mumbo jumbo mean? <laughs> well, look at it this way: if you look at how most strength and conditioning, uh, or most conditioning experts might prescribe it, for instance, we take Tabata sprints, they'll say we want twenty seconds at one hundred and seventy percent of VO two max, right? Or you know, we want ten by twenty seconds at max speed, uh, with you know ten seconds rest, and you get things like that. And the track coach sits there and steps back and says, 170% of VO2 max means jack shit to me, right? Mm-hmm, that doesn't mm-hmm. transcribe. Or if you say, oh, I want this at max, as a track coach, you're sitting there saying, like, if I run the first one at max, I'm going to be going downhill quick because max speed is different from, like, what you think max effort is, right? Right. So I think I think it all starts with this, we don't speak the same language, Exactly. Exactly what I was going to interject with. Vocabulary of physiology is very, very important for the coach to ascertain and have a firm grasp on. You need to go back and review the basics because if we're talking about physiology, which again, to understand that is important because human physiology has not changed much in the last, I don't know, 5,000, 7,000 years, it's pretty, we're pretty close to our ancestors in that regard. Now, everyone is an individual and a one. So it's important to have a baseline, theoretical, structural understanding so then you can interpret what is being expressed by the individual as you're watching them do these activities. And because you have the language, you develop that density of knowledge and intimacy of emotion with the language, you can then interpret those things to an athlete who might not have the same degree of sophistication. So if I'm going to say, look, today is an alactic power day, that doesn't mean a whole lot to an athlete. But if I say, hey, today we're going to do, you know, 30 meter sprints from a roll, a rolling start with as much recovery as you need for every sprint to be your best sprint of your life. And if you need to take six minutes rest or 10 minutes rest, that's fine. But what we need is a quality of movement and a quality of power. And again, as you're seeing, I'm now shifting this physiological, theoretical understanding to tongue and encouraging the athlete explicitly in unambiguous terms what they need to work on expressing on that day. But if you're sitting here, you know, quantifying percents of VO2 max, percents of max effort or what have you, and you don't know the range at which the different substrates of fuels typically for an average human being, again, you might have a freak of nature who they're on the maximum of that min-max range of substrate fueling use for their given you know, discipline, whether it's, you know, lactic capacity for a, you know, marathoner or whether it's being able to sprint at max velocity. We know Usain Bolt can maintain his max velocity a little bit longer than the average duck. And that's why he has been so good and so um, dominant for many, many years. I mean, there's a lot of things going on. It's not just his 
metabolic conditioning. There's neurological, there's physics, there's appendages, there's all this other stuff, right? And so here's where you as the coach really have to know your stuff because if you don't know your stuff and then you are in good nature trying to move these athletes and telling them to do X, Y, Z, you're now indoctrinating them with a misconception and a misunderstanding about what different elements are in the preparation phase. So when they, they graduate and maybe go on to university or professional coach and I have to tell them, hey, lactic acid, not a thing, not a bad thing. Okay, why you're why you're, you know, breathing all this oxygen and air in now and hands on your knees because you ran an all out 400 as a test or whatever, whatever, whatever reason. That's not lactic acid. That's called acidosis. It's a much different phenomena. (laughs) You know, people like, oh, huh. I mean, I'm always like it's almost 2020 and we're still using the term lactic acid. How? Because that misconception, that ill, you know, ill conceived information from the 1980s which we which we had used for so long is still still in practice we need to nip a button those types of things so yes you must be very particular and precise with your language just how interval training is not repetition training right those are different things but a lot of people use them synonymously interval training means you put as much emphasis on the period of recovery between the reps of the on work or the more difficult work as you do um as you do as you do the on work so the off and the on those are disciplined repetition training is go do a 400 full recovery go do a 400 you know go do 200 as fast as you can full recovery we're gonna do 20 of those right and or we're gonna do 10 of those whatever your prescription may be so you Again, I really encourage everyone to study the vocabulary because it makes a, it's huge. It makes a difference because Steve and I here are getting up, you know, heated because people are calling things that are aerobic in nature sprints. And we know a sprint can only be sustained for a very short duration of time. You know, if you're, if you desire, you know, metabolic component that you want to use is ATP. That is, you know, you got 40 seconds at best, you know, 45 maybe if you're really well conditioned that you could probably use that and not have to be in an oxidative state where you truly are in an anaerobic, you know, can, um, state to be able to express the quality of sprinting, all, you know, at max, at, at max capacity, right? And, and I think, you know, I think this is number one is vocab, right? Understand it. Understand it's the, huge. Uh, understand it's the huge. vocab and what you're communicating. And I think what you got there on the second part is understand the nuance of energy systems. Understand the nuance of speed. Right. Mm-hmm. So when we're when we run track again, not that we're you know the gods of this or anything like this. It's the same in cycling and skiing and all that. I'm sure. But the nuance of speed matters, right? Because mm-hmm. I, I I can I can have someone run at you know, a 60 second quarter for a four minute miler. And then I can have them run a 63 second quarter for a four minute miler. And you're talking, you know, um, a second and a half per 200.7 per, uh, per hundred. Not that big of a difference when you think. No, the amount of time it takes you to sip a cup of coffee. Yeah. You know, (laughs) exactly. But it's an entirely different type of workout. 
right? Mm-hmm. Or it's mm-hmm. a it's a, t- a a different stimulus. And what you see on the the team sports side a lot of times is that it's it all gets thrown into this junk of like this big, very big wide zone, right? Mm. Maybe this is, you know, uh, VO2 max stuff and it encompasses everything from what we'd call mild to 10K effort, right? Or, you know, everything that's kind of, kind of not fast, but kind of not slow is your threshold stuff. And there's just mm. big wide zones of things. And I think what we learned in the, the running world is that nuance of speed matters, right? And it's like understanding that these slight variations will give us these slight differences in, um, in, in development and adaptation. I mean, even if you take sprinting, for example, if I'm doing flying, you know, thirties or forties or fifties at max speed, that's a different kind of workout than running, you know, similar, maybe flying fifties at 400 meter speed, right? right. And yep. you're talking a, very slight slowdown, right? Fractions of a second. Fractions of a second, but entirely different workout. And, and you know, and guiding the, di- the, and coming to a different, you know, conclusion there. And I think that's where it's one of these things where you have to appreciate that, um, and appreciate w- what you're doing there, um, you know, to, to adapt to things. Because I think in, in the team sports, that's sometimes lost a little bit because, there's so many guys. There's, there's not. They don't have as fine tune of, uh, uh, of ability to discern efforts or speeds or paces right. and that stuff. So it becomes a little bit lost. Your body has a tolerance uh, capacity for everything. You, you only can tolerate so much. So you know, let's just use what we all have familiarity with. You know, food or alcohol. Right. You go to all you eat buffet, you come in hungry because your belly is empty. Man, that first plate. Great. But if you keep filling up your plate with the same exact proportion of food, just plate after plate after plate, sooner or later, you're going to have your tolerance will be reached. You're going to be full. You're going to be stuffed. And another bite is not going to be nourishing. It's going to make you vomit. Same deal with alcohol. You, You might be able to be, you know, able to sustain one or two glasses of wine and it's like it's great it's actually compliments dinner it's good you like it but with then you move towards three four or five in a very short duration of time an hour two hours man you're puking and getting that out of your body because your body's like i can't tolerate any more of this exposure to this stimulus and food and alcohol are stimulus trainings uh you know um, is a stimulus, different stimulus. So you have to understand the law of compounding tolerance. And that is a very subtle nuance. And so if you're trying to teach mental toughness as a skill or just to get through difficult times, sure, do 10 max velocity sprints for 10 seconds with 10 seconds rest. Because you know how many max velocity sprints you can get out of that? One. <laughs> One, the first. So do it. I mean, that's but it's a different activity. Okay, fine. But don't lie to your athletes and telling them you're sprinting ten times for ten seconds with ten seconds rest because you can't. We know you can't. I mean, sprinting, right? Max velocity. The sprint coaches have all showed me the science, and the scientists have showed me the science. You've got thirty, maybe forty meters where you're at max velocity once you get up to speed out of your acceleration. So you accelerate, max velocity, you decelerate, and that's in a hundred meters, man. So to say that 
you know, we're going to be at max velocity for, you know, down and back a soccer field. Again, you're, the, the intention is pure and the idea is, you know, to be encouraged, but the application execution and the vocabulary is grossly incorrect. So don't get mad. Don't get bitter. Just get educated. That's all you have to do. Just get educated. So then you have a better vocab and you can then have a better understanding and nuance about what you're doing and the tolerances you're exposing people to. And then they'll get magically better, right? I mean, the more and more I coach, the more and more I am curious about the minimal effective dosage of stimulus. What is the absolute minimum I can ask people to do that they will get the stimulated stimulation they need to get faster, healthier, stronger, better? So I mean, I, I'm going to interject. Um, yeah. I, I love it because here, here's what I see. This is a minimum effective dose ties into a concept that I think is, is misunderstood both in the track world and the team sport world. And that's what I call productive failure. Right. Mm. And understanding the, again, we're kind of talk nuance, understanding the nuance of fatigue, right? Because what, what we're trying to do in any workout where we're trying to get any sort of conditioning or adaptation is take them to a level of fatigue that we deem necessarily necessary to get that minimum effective dose, right? And sometimes to push beyond that. But that's our job as coaches to understand, um, what athletes should look like. And, and where that level of fatigue is. And I think w- what I've seen again in team sports and not to paint a broad brush, which I am, but it's that fatigue is all seen as like, Oh, once, once you're done, once you're down on the ground or puking or, you know, falling apart while you're doing your intervals and you look at this like schlog that goes from, you know, they're, they're running to this like side to side wasted motion that looks absolutely horrible, right? Those, those are what you're accustomed to see, especially at the high school level. Um, and at some college levels, a lot of college levels. And when you watch teams, teams, um, do condition, conditioning work. Okay. Now, now go over to the track, right? And watch a really good college or, um, you know, professional group practice. Okay. And these guys are experts in fatigue. And you watch them, let's say, do 400-meter repeats. And you watch the last one. And there's no there's no huge tying up. There's no, like, side-to-side slog that's going up. Like, you might, you might get some tying up in the last 100 of that last 400, but it's still, maybe it goes from 60 seconds to 62 seconds as they die in, right? Mm-hmm. But it's what I'd call productive fatigue because they're learning how to hold everything together, learning how to maintain their mechanics and good, good movement, um, while being extremely tired, but they're not getting to this point of like utter and complete failure and then being told, ah, oh, just go do another one, go do another one, go do another right. one. And there's a bunch of pointless reps. Well, they're able to rehearse and learn how to manage the fatigue, right? Things are hard. And I tell this to my athletes all the time. You think, you know, as a female running four flat for 1500 meters hard right now, it's not hard. It's just unfamiliar. It's actually very easy. How do we know many women before you have done this over and over and over again? It's not some uncharted territory, like going to the moon or being the first female to break four in the 1500. 
But the only reason you call it hard is because it's unfamiliar. So what training is, is familiarizing yourself with the qualities and capacity so that it's no longer hard and it's easy. And then on race day, you can express that and it's there at your disposal. It's there for you to call upon it in a moment's notice, right? It has to be like oxygen. That's what you're doing. You're trying to train people's qualities to be like oxygen. You need more oxygen. You take bigger breaths. It's just there. You don't have to be like, oh, well, hey, guys, we got to wait till noon because that's when the oxygen density is highest to do things. And no, oxygen is always there all the time. It's easy. You need more bigger, more rapid breaths. That's it. So uh, you have to really remember it's this management. It's this moving from unfamiliar and I always, again, I'm a, I'm a word guy, so I put a pin in it. And I'm like, no, 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 don't call it hard. Call it unfamiliar because one day it will be easy because many years ago, running 430 for 1500 was hard for you. And now it's easy because you're running 412, 410, 405, right? So let's, let, let's just, you know, again, address the other elephant in the room, which is this misconception about what we're really doing from a training standpoint that it's 100% metabolic or physiological it's actually equitable body and mind because they live in an ecosystem and they influence each other we know what you think can influence how you act in your behaviors and i've been doing this recently with the athletes i'm working with they're doing sessions and they're saying okay what's your internal dialogue and i guess it's gonna be hard and i just let it go and they do a rep or two and i go hey what if you reframe this instead of as hard that you're getting better you're creating some positive energy, some nourishing thoughts instead of very rigid, stiff thoughts. Because remember, rigidity and stiffness is death. That's what a, a corpse is. And if you're thinking negative thoughts, if you're nourishing yourself and rehearsing the nourishment of negative, rigid, stiff thoughts, you're going to be tense, rigid, and stiff at the end of a competition, at the end of a game. So, but if you're rehearsing the other way, boom. So let, let's tie this down into one of my biggest pet peeves. What, <laughs> okay. what, what? Steve's fired up on this one. I love it. I am. What, what message are you sending then if, let's say you have a, a team sport and you say, hey, whenever you mess up, whenever you need to be punished, you go run laps or you go push plates or you go do this exercise that is hard. The wrong message. <laughs> exactly. Uh, all right. You're sending the wrong message. You're ingraining the idea that whenever we, we condition, quote unquote, it's because we got in trouble and it's a negative thing to do. It's a thing I want to avoid, right? I want to avoid running. I want to avoid, you know, doing this, this physical activity that, um, takes the effort. Is right. That, the equivalent would be if I'm a basketball coach, like, hey, you, you're being, you know, disrespectful or whatever, and you're upset at them. I want you to go work on your jump shot now by yourself. Like, yeah, get out of my sight. Go, go, go shoot, go shoot jump shots. And it's like, what? How, eh? it, it, it makes no sense. Yet we do it all the time in all aspects of sports is we create punishment to tie the idea of negativity towards this. This actual positive thing that we could be using, right? Which is, you know, getting people in shape and getting people conditioned for whatever sport activity they're, they're going to do. So, and, you know, it sounds kind of new agey to say, but that mindset that how things are framed 
um, is incredibly important, right? Huge. It's it, huge. It, it, it impacts everything because, you know, a lot of people are ask, you know, as a runner, they're like, how do you enjoy running all those things? I'm like, well, it's a positive to me. Like, I don't see it as a negative. It's something that I get to enjoy and get to go do every day that I'm not injured at least. Um, and it's a huge positive, but you're sitting here seeing this as like this dreadful activity that you have to do. No wonder it takes you so much effort to get out of bed to do it. Right. I remind my athletes every day or every, you know, session that is a growing session that there's a degree of unfamiliarity and difficulty in. It's not hard. You're blessed. You're blessed. You get it. You're, you're blessed to be able to do this work. You're blessed to be able to try to push yourself to get be and grow beyond your current capability to do something you've never done before and express yourself in a way you've never expressed yourself. You're blessed to do this work. Like, you know, breathe in the heavenly glory. Like, it's amazing. Like, you know, and that's, if you go in with the mentality, man, I'm blessed. I get to do another quarter. I am blessed. Like, it changes your outlook on the activity you're going to do. And then it changes your behavior. And we know, right, the reason you do drills is to create habits, and those habits then create behaviors, and those behaviors become ingrained and automatic. So if you're doing drills for the sake of doing drills, and the athlete's doing them sloppily, which is very common, hey, do these A skips, do these leaps and bounds, and what do you, what is it for? What is it for? Just to piss away some time at practice? And, you know, I put a thing up on Twitter the other day. It's like, if you want to waste your time, rush through practice. That is the best waste of time I've ever seen. Like, why are we even here <laughs> if we're rushing through practice? And doing ineffective metabolic conditioning is a waste of time. You're rushing something that you're trying to create this, you know, exposure and stimulate and stimulus to. So you don't need to brag how many reps and how fast you did something at. What you need to do is, man, I did get better. And as a coach, when you're writing a session, you're saying, okay, what is the minimum? Like you write a session. This is my process, and I'll give you everyone a little insight. I get excited. I write training. I'm like, oh, man, okay, great. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. Oh, okay. And then and then on this day, they'll come back and do this. And then, okay, we'll give them two, a day rest here. And once I do that initial draft, I then look at it, and I go, okay, take two steps back on everything. So if I am like, hey, this person is ready or can or should be able to do 12 times a quarter – they're going to do 10. If this person is going to do these quarter session on Tuesday and I'm like, oh, they're going to come back Friday and do it. They're going to go Tuesday and then they're going to come back Saturday because the minimal effect of dosage is always the right hand to play. It's your ace. It's your trump card. Nick, we're not saying here, don't do work, but give yourself a, the permission to minimize the work you're doing because there's this you know, a very Americana Western mindset of more is more gooder. And it's not, man. We know it's not. We're we're trying to find the Goldilocks principle. What is just enough to get people a little bit outside the comfort zone? Just dip the toe in the water a little bit. But yet we want to take this hammer approach and say, hey, let's copy these football strength and conditioning coaches and force you to do up downs for an hour and then completely fry your kidneys <laughs> and put you in the hospital. <laughs> so, and, and that gets me to, I think, one of my other uh, other favorite things is, like, what decision are you ingraining, right? 
Because, like, we talk about conditioning and all this, like, performance stuff, and we talk about it from a physiological and metabolic standpoint, but the reality is it's also a decision-making standpoint, right? It's, it's what, when things get tough, what are we ingraining you to do? And when we sit there and say, hey, you're going to do up-downs for an hour, and I'm going to stand over you and yell at you um, to make sure you do them, what you're ingraining is the reason I am doing this up-downs it's because I have this giant dude standing in front of me telling me to do them, right? The reason the reason it works in track when you're doing intervals isn't because I'm standing there and you have to get it done. It's because people make the choice of, oh, man, I could ease off here and, you know, maybe run a little bit slower but feel a little bit better or I could keep pushing. And every time you're ingraining this decision of, hey, in this workout, like, I need to keep pushing or I need to make this decision at this time. And that transfers over to race day or in the, t- in the terms of team sports, um, game day performance is if we can ingrain those decisions in the quote unquote conditioning phase, then we're going to be in a better spot in the game. It's what are you coaching? Like, what are you coaching for? I made a decision a long time ago that I'm coaching for mastery. I'm coaching to help people master their themselves help people master their competitive expression and what is mastery the you know the examples you gave steve are complete counter to the mastery principle mastery to me and you know how you know how far close you are away to having mastered something is the degree of effort it takes to express what you want to express so master pianists they don't they don't break a sweat man but they're playing the most technical, you know, fervent piece by, you know, Chopin or, you know, an adagio of some sort or some improv, but they have mastered it. And they're just sitting there like, yeah, I'm waiting for the bus and my hands are moving and I'm producing all this noise. Oh my goodness. And we see the same thing, you know, to use track as an example, mastery is, hey, I can run 410 for 1500 and it looks really fluid and relaxed. Look at like, Rudisha, when he's really fit, he's running in a state of flow. He's mastered that rhythm. He's mastered that ability to go out in the front, crank 50s back to back, and it doesn't even look that hard. So what you're watching is a master. Now, the athletes you're working with, when they start to express strain and stiffness and tension of effort, it's at a given point in a race, they're running a mile and they show it at the two and a half minute mark or they show it at the three minute mark. And they're trying to run 4:30. That shows you how far away they are from mastery. They have a 90-second mastery gap. They have a two-minute mastery gap. And so all the work you're then doing is helping them to get closer and closer to mastering the ability to be able to express a 4:30 mile, however it's dealt, surging, slow, fast, even pace, whatever, with a degree of effortless effort. And then once you master that, guess what? You level up and you move on to the next. So, hey, great. Glad you're able to do that now. Now we're going to set the bar higher. And that is what I call the infinite growth. If you always have a mastery mindset, you're about infinite growth. And as long as you're growing, you're not dying. All right. So I, I think that probably brings me to one final point on this team sport thing um, before we probably meander off into whatever direction we're going. and. It, like when I hear that mastery mindset of this things, it, it, what it takes me to is like, 
you have to be able, like, you can't jump steps, right? You've got to, you've got to nail the basics. You got to go through the steps to get to where you're, you're supposed to go. Um, there's no short, quick fixes, right? There are no hacks. There are no unfortunately. hacks. That is a, a hack is a lie. When you see someone says, oh, five hacks, you go, oh, five lies. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And, you know, when I see that and tie this back to team sports is I think one of the things I see a lot is that they blame, like there's a blame or this this scaredness of running easy, right, or or doing easy work. And I think the reason that that exists is because there's this fear of losing speed, which is a result of misunderstanding the idea of the balance of speed and endurance and balancing these opposing, um, you know, systems, for lack of a better term. Um, but it's also a result of people not mastering the basics and not really being in shape to jog, right? Yeah. Because, like, when I watch, you know, for instance, one of my college guys, when I watch Brian go run seven-minute pace, like, yeah, he looks great doing it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's good muscle stiffness, yeah. you know, in the lower limbs. He's getting a little spring and recoil effect. He's maintaining his – yes, because he has – he knows how to move his appendages, whether he's running sub four for the mile or 10-minute pace, in a very biomechanically healthy and proficient manner because he's mastered that spectrum, right? Exactly. You know, to, to a certain degree. And this is the this is the difficulty here is if you all the different training stimulus are different instruments. And if you know what a jog is for, you know, a jog can be for practicing technique at a very low grade intensity and feeling the appendages move and getting good swing in the arms and being able to say, OK, hey, look, you know, this is a little bit off and because that's going to be magnified and expressed at one faster speeds and two as people are having to manage higher and higher, higher degrees of fatigue. And then two, if you also know that jogging can be a ability to get an oxidative recovery effect, because that's what we need. We need the gaseous exchange of oxygen in, you know, carbon dioxide, excess oxygen out, moving things and nutrients through the blood to help repair whatever has been distressed. Then you can prescribe that you know, with an intelligent mindset and, you know, in distance running, the thing that limits us from working out every single day or twice a day and, you know, just cranking is not the aerobic system. Your, your lungs recover in a heartbeat. I mean, it's really is that quick. I mean, you can have somebody like, Oh, Oh man, that was a really tough workout. Oh, I just finished. And then 10 minutes later, they're fine. They're just breathing normal. They're not like going to class three hours later. And it's like, I saw, that was so sore. That was just such a, you know, no, aerobic system recovers instantaneously swimmers and bikers man they crank they crank hard because they don't have the soft um tissue uh what i call penalty where the soft tissue of your muscle skeletal muscle system because of the impact forces of running get fatigued and break down and now you have to rest and hang out and run very slowly a couple of days to let it allow synthesis and repair so you can go do it again right. swimmers can do a hard session in the morning or a rower hard session in the morning because there's zero impact i mean i used to watch the rowers all the time in college at you know we had these crew guys and man they were 5 a.m to 7 a.m cranking on the erg machine and then they come back at noon at lunch crank for another hour and then they come back at 
8 p.m. after dinner and crank for another hour. They just got in like four to five hours of hard, what we would call like threshold pace. So half marathon to, or I call it 15K race pace. But I mean, hard aerobic, four hours in a day, not a big deal. <laughs> but, so, but that's why it's so important to understand the demands of, of whatever sport it is because or whatever interval training you're doing because like it changes things. It's the reason why you look at swimmers and they can do interval sets with like 20, 15 seconds rest. Right. Because there is a metabolic penalty for activities and, but there's also a structural penalty as well. And you have to say, well, what are the metabolic and structural penalties? If you're in the weight room or you're a football player, there's a lot of structural penalty there for pushing and jacking up big weight or getting hit over and over and over again. And so maybe metabolically, you didn't get a whole lot out of it for the duration of it because you couldn't get in this aerobic state. But man, structurally, other things were penalized. So you need to chill out. Right. And that's what you're always as a coach balancing in the composition of your you know, training plan is what's the harmony of the metabolic penalties and cost and what's the harmony of the structural penalties and cost. Exactly. And I think that, that that's one of the things that I think if you don't understand the intervals or don't understand like the practical impact of it and the science behind it, what happens is you get stuck into these like oh, when I do this type of workout for this, you know, for this effect, I need a four to one rest to, you know, rest to work or work to rest ratio. Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, wait a minute, that that might work metabolically. But what about structurally or neurally or all those other things? Right. Mm. And it's it's one of the reasons why, again, you look at sports like cycling or swimming um, versus, you know, running and they're completely completely different right and it's right. the rest yeah. periods are completely different and that's why i think one of the things that we're trying to get at is like you just need a holistic understanding of these things and yes it's hard to do yes it's hard to understand a little bit of the science to understand you know conditioning or aerobic development yes it's under it's hard to understand like the history of interval training and go back to Valdemir Gerschler and all those things and realize that intervals didn't start with some guy named Tabata, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and But those are the kinds of, you know, forays into information as a coach that will separate you from, you know, those just sending people to do work for work's sake. Yeah, and, it's hard, but it's necessary to educate yourself. And you know what? It's worth it. It's worth it. That hundred hundred percent, it's worth it. So and that and that, I mean, that at the end of the day is like you got to get over as, and that's also something you can remind your athletes. You may be experiencing hard doing this workout or race, but you know what? It's necessary and it's worth it if you can juxtapose the difficulty or unfamiliar unfamiliarity of the task in front of you, but you can really feel motivated that it's necessary and worth it. You can get a lot done. Yep. 100%. 100%. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Well, that <laughs> that is that is my uh, my rambling. And rant. And rant. <laughs> rant. Steve's and rant. It, well, I I want to keep a, a thread of it going though, you know, um, sure. and you know, riff on it for a, a little bit longer, but not too much. Here is, um, you know, what is a fool, right? And a fool is someone who has a little bit of information and thinks they know it all or they have it all figured out. 
And when you're first acquiring information, there's this, you know, mindset of saying, well, I'm learning from so-and-so, or I read this one book, or I, oh, this one article, and you know, I, I have the, I have the secret key to the castle. But get educated. And the way you get educated, like we said, is through effort. The more and more I coach, the more and more I have experience, the more and more I know so little. And because I know so little, I'm like, man, I need to just get a better grasp and understanding. I'm a fool and I know I'm a fool. So that's why I fervently read. I fervently go out of my comfort zone and, you know, talk to friends, colleagues, mentors, and always, always, always educating, self-educating because your most valuable education is did not happen at some institution that gave you a diploma for a whole chunk of money. It's what you picked to expose yourself to on your own accord. Right. And that is going to be the fundamental thing that is going to define you as a person and as a professional is how much continuous education did you seek out every day? I love Joe Vigil because he's like 85, 86 year old. He goes, yep, I get up every day at 4 a.m. and I educate myself for three hours. I mean, this 4 a.m. to 7 a.m. He's three hours of self-education at 85 before most people are even out of bed and had a cup of coffee. Not because he's insecure or scared. He just knows, man, it's such a gift. There's so much information out there. There's so much, you know, that can make and help, you know, hone and refine my critical thought. Get after it. You know, if it's the keys of the castle, it'll make you better. It'll make everyone better around you. And it's awesome. And that's that's why I hope during this rant is that, you know, my uh, fellow colleagues in the team sports don't take offense, don't take offense to this stuff. Um, yeah, I love it when people are like, hey, you were blind and you were uneducated about this. What are you going to do about it now? I'd be like, oh, teach me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, and, teach me. And, and we're not saying we have the, all the answers on any of this stuff, but like what we're saying is like the aerobic side of this conditioning part um, is, is our wheelhouse, right? Even though we deal with runners, like that is what, what we're doing. And our hope is to, you know, educate and clarify some of these things just as you know, some of our friends in the strength and conditioning or throwing world have educated us in the world of uh, weightlifting and uh, power development, right? Oh, it's, yeah. You know, I mean, I'm, bl- I'm blessed. I'm blessed to be able to have those resources to ask because, again, it, who do you want to go to? The person who's watching this over and over and over again express with, you know, thousands of hours and sample sets of athletes. If I mean, if I'm a strength and conditioning coach who has 20, 30 years of experience and is has an eye and watching people do things well and saying, oh, well, squatting like this has a better, you know, power to ratio impact than squatting like that. Doing this has better for that. I mean, I'm going to take take some stock and take some note on this. When I have someone who is aligned and is on the path of mastery tell me, you do not need to do eight-minute abs because they are bullshit, I'm like, thanks for letting me know because you know what? Six years ago, that was really in vogue because it was challenging to people, but it, it has no, again, transformational carryover to what we're trying to achieve. So it's completely out of my repertoire because someone's like, hey, you know what? It's really just a Snickers bar. It's it's a fancy thing wrapped up in you know a nice little package, but it doesn't really get the job done. And I was like, great. I always need to know that because there's a lot of people out there and a lot of things that are like new and exciting and cool and fun, and they're trying to just, you know, make a profit off of you instead of do what Steve and I attempt is 
help you profit from us. And that's really important is because we just have to keep the good works going. That's right. It's all about sharing information. And if anyone disagrees or thinks uh, we're down the wrong wrong rabbit hole on any of this stuff, feel free to reach out and hit us up and tell us. Like it's you're not going to uh offend us. We're not gonna bite your head off. We wanna know No, we have open minds. Like I'm always, you know, changing and evolving my mindset because I get educated one way or another. Like always, always you know, and that's the best way. Have an open mind. And you know, to the friends in the team sport world, it's just have an open mind, second guess yourself and be like, okay, are we really one uh, you know, prescribing the minimum effective dosage to get the stimulus that we want. And then two, teaching the right mindset and behaviors that are going to be of value in the critical decision moments of a, of a game. And then three, do we have our vocabulary straight? And are we ex- saying, okay, we want a, 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 you know, sprint day and a max speed day, max velocity day, but, and doing those activities that sync up Instead of saying, well, we want a sprint and speed day, but we're doing activities that create dissonance because you're actually doing an aerobic, more, you know, aerobic type of workout because people are having to survive because you're doing suicides. A suicide is a very potent and effective aerobic workout. It's not a sprint workout. There's no way, (laughs) you know, (laughs) it's more, it's, it's, it's like a VO2, you know, type workout. It's actually great. It's a great VO2 workout, but don't call it a sprinting workout. And And so, yeah. And I think just, to piggyback on that for a second and maybe tie this up a little bit is like think of think of the difference of that workout suicides if you go in and proclaim it as a sprint max effort versus proclaiming it and doing it how it probably should be done right in mm-hmm. one instance you're like all out at the beginning and slowly die to the schlog um that is horrible <laughs> In the mm-hmm. other instance, like you're getting good quality, like aerobic interval work, almost like an, an, an igloo set with some strength stuff in there, and it becomes productive. But right. all of that can change based on how you explain and frame it to your athletes. Right. And finally, you know, take the ownership of the privilege you have. Because you are a coach, you are educating these young men and women who you are coaching. When you do any type of conditioning or preparation work on vocabulary, on a way to create structure and framing around how to prepare oneself for sport and for competition, it is a privilege. You are blessed. It's a gift. Don't throw it away by, one, you know, making activities punishment and making it more of a compliance and transactional relationship. Go the transformational route, I beg you, and tr- teach them. Not, you know, teach them how to fish. Don't give them the fish. Teach them the right vocabulary, the correct framing, how these energy systems and physiology and how their body works to express, you know, power and speed and strength and all these qualities. So they have it on demand instantaneously, instantaneously without having to think about it. Cause that's really what we want is you want these qualities to be like oxygen right there when the athlete wants it. That soccer ball is loose. Susie can sprint to it and get it, be coordinated, you know, trap it, and then make the cross in a heartbeat. She's not having to cognitively think about it at a conscious level. It's ingrained in her because you did an excellent job helping her be to be able to express those qualities in a heartbeat without thought. 
Bingo. All right. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed this uh, lovely conversation on team sports. Probably be back to running uh, next week. Um, again, from the intro, please check out highperformancewest.com. See some of our new initiatives. See our coaching with craft thing that we're, um, we're, you know, getting going here. And please spread the word. Join the movement. Join us if, you know, um, there'll be opportunities for you guys to contribute if you have something to say or need a place to, uh, you know, raise your voice. So, Join join us, and there's some exciting things ahead. Yeah, I'm real excited about this. I haven't been this excited in years. I mean, I, I think it's going to be a, an amazing, unifying, you know, um, opportunity for a lot of people. It, it's going to be fun. I know I'm going to learn a lot, and I hope everyone else is ready to go on the journey of a lot of learning and a lot of benefits. So thank you for giving us the platform and privilege to be able to launch something like this because – it's you, you know, our faithful listener for two and a half years who really got conversations between me and Steve going, who really got, you know, um, who, who by, you know, all your feedback that sparked this idea of like, hey, there might be a need for this and people might be receptive to it and it might help. And that's all we're trying to do is just make a very generous, enriching contribution to the culture and community we want to live in, which is a high performance, you know, arena with people on the path to mastery. So thank you.